the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. It is 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are ready. We are rocking. We are rolling. On AM 1420, The Answer, it's uh, Wednesday, and it's the third morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. we got a big show lined up for you. We've got a lot of important work to do in hour number one. In hour number two, we're not going to do newsworthy topics of the day. Hour number two, I've got a conversation scheduled, scheduled with uh, Mike Franzese. And uh, this is just a fascinating topic, and it's a fascinating story. I've had Mike Franzese on before. Uh, he, is, uh, he is a remarkable person. He is a former high-ranking mafia uh, member. Um, He is now a best-selling author. He is a speaker. He has completely converted his life from those days of crime and corruption uh, in the uh, Colombo crime family. And uh, he is now featured as as really one of the uh, the biggest turnaround and reclamation stories, I think, um, in in uh, in former mafia, we talked to him. I'm, I'm fascinated by the old old school and old world mafia. 
because it's one of those things, it's just a part of our history. And there's, there are different types of uh, organized crime, by the way, going on now. It's just not considered what we knew as the old school mafia. And I'm fascinated by it. Uh, it's a big part of history. It's a big part of our history, and it's, uh, and there's a lot to be learned from it. So Michael Franzese is going to be joining me in uh, at 10 o'clock for the full 10 o'clock hour. We're going to be talking about his book. We're going to be talking about a very important uh, presentation, a stage uh, conversation that's coming up at the Lorraine Palace Theater in June. This former made man and a capo in the Colombo crime family, uh, Michael Franzese, uh, is going to be talking about everything uh, having to do with that lifestyle and the conversion that he has made to being uh, an inspirational, motivational speaker now. So that's coming up. Uh, that event is coming up in June, but we're coming up with Michael today at uh, at 10 o'clock. And from what I'm told, we've got some free tickets to that show to uh, give away as well. So I think you're going to want to hear this chat. I'm looking forward to it. Then at uh, 11.10, we're going to talk to Jack Windsor about what I am going to discuss with you right now. And that is exactly what we thought would happen is happening exactly what we feared would happen is happening the trans dems are making their move jason stevens the speaker of the ohio house of representatives who got that lofty position of power thanks to a deal that he made with democrats thanks to a deal that 22 other non-republicans Trans Democrats, as I like to call them, because they still carry the the mantle of Republicanism, but they act like Democrats. They identify as Democrats. They're wearing uh, they're wearing Republican suits, but they're they are Democrats to their core. That's the only way I can describe all twenty two who sided with uh, Jason Stevens and the rest of the Democrats. And now the bill uh, has come due. The payback to the Democrat Party for the power given to Jason Stevens and to the power and the high-ranking positions given to the the, uh, gang of 22 trans-dems, that bill has come due. We knew that there were deals that were being made. Denials from all of the 22. Denials from Jason Stevens. But we knew the truth. Allison Russo, the chief Democrat, knew the truth pretty much admitted the reality that, yes, we made deals with them. Without saying the word, we made deals, we did a quid pro quo. But we all knew, and we all know, and now it is coming uh, It's coming due. Like I said, that bill. I'm going to tell you all about what's happening uh, right after we do our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, please stand and face your flag, if you would. Face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us for this Pledge of Allegiance to this great republic and the flag that represents her, if you are a believer If you are a believer in anything that trans-Democrats, or excuse me, yeah, trans-Democrats stand for, um, then you don't have to say this pledge. You may instead take a knee over there next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Jason Stevens, uh, the Speaker of the Ohio House, who stole that gavel from Derek Marin, who was the conservative Ohio representative, 
who in the Republican caucus back in November won the poll, or not the poll, rather the vote, to become the next speaker. 22 Democrats siphoned off, at, or excuse me, trans Democrats. They are still in the Republican caucus for some reason. I don't understand. But they siphoned off from the group uh, uh, that had pledged to vote unanimously for whoever won that caucus vote. Derek Maron won that caucus vote relatively easily, and then those 22 siphoned off and said, we're going to go over to the Democrats. We're going to get our own power, and if we have to sell out unborn children to Democrats and their abortion uh, abortion mills, then that's what we'll do. Now, did they say it in those terms? No, but was that the practical effect of what they did? Absolutely. So here's where we are. Yesterday, quoting from Cleveland.com's coverage yesterday, The Republican Speaker of the House punted again, putting off for at least a week any action from lawmakers proposing the constitutional amendment, the one that you and I have been talking about and championing and pushing that would make future such changes from citizens harder to pass, raising the threshold, as you know, from 50% to 60%, so that they can't just get 50% plus one voter in November and then embed into the Constitution the right to forever butcher babies. And, oh, by the way, to allow your existing babies, your children, your minors, to become butchered uh, with surgical mutilation without your approval and consent. All of those things are on the table. Stevens' decision delays the matter until next week, which would run a possible vote up against a Wednesday deadline announced by the state's chief election elections official if lawmakers are to place the proposed amendment before voters on an August 8th ballot. This is the only chance we have. The only chance we have is to have a special election in August to raise the threshold to 60% in the Ohio Constitution, to amend the Ohio Constitution, to potentially, possibly, maybe, stop the the extraordinary effort from out-of-state pro-death groups combining and coordinating with in-state pro-death cults to, again, um, butcher babies at any point in any gestational cycle for any reason, without apology, without permission, without anything required whatsoever other than the mother saying, I really don't want the baby. That's it. Now, this isn't just about abortion, but it's about abortion. It is about that in a very, very large way, because this, of course, is a referendum on whether or not Ohio is a pro-life state or whether or not Ohio doesn't mind butchering babies. It's just, it, it is a huge, huge part of this. Now, this would affect, of course, all potential constitutional amendments going forward. It makes it a lot harder for the people to change the Constitution. But you know what? It's supposed to. It should be. It takes three quarters to, to amend the uh uh, the United States Constitution, why should it take only half the people plus one and not a much more significant barrier to amending the Constitution here in the state of Ohio? Back to the story. Speaker Jason Stevens, who has studiously avoided taking a position or making many public comments about possibly changing the Constitution rule, told reporters Tuesday that any resolution on the matter would have to wait a week. He then stopped questions after t- uh, taking questions after roughly 90 seconds. Why? Because he is a trans-Democrat. You might as well finish the transition. Go put on your Democrat suit. Go put the D after your name. You weak, feckless coward. 
We know this is a very important issue, Stephen said. This is dealing with our Constitution, so it's the most important issue before the House right now. Then why the hell aren't you acting on it? Why aren't you doing what your constituents want you to do, what they told you to do, what your own caucus wants you to do? 59, 59 of your fellow Republicans have already signed on for this. Why are you telling them that they shouldn't get what they want on behalf of the constituents who put them in Columbus? The Senate, Matt Huffman and his team, want this. They passed the resolution. Why are you sitting there and and abandoning your constituents out of some sort of misguided loyalty and fealty to Alison Russo? Out of some sort of, of, of bizarre, backroom, smoke-filled handshakes with murderous Democrats, you decide to become a trans-Democrat and sell out every conservative pro-lifer in the state? Republican lawmakers have rushed to uh, schedule a referendum vote in August, which would ensure the stricter rules apply to another effort to create a constitutional right to abortion in Ohio in November. Backers are seeking to put the abortion issue there. Ohio Senate Republicans already passed the resolution, as I noted, along with a separate bill that schedules the August election. Mike DeWine said he would sign the bill, but he has no role in deciding the resolution, but he said he would sign it to let the special August election happen. How about that? Even Mike DeWine is on board. Even another trans dem like Mike DeWine is willing to set his his Democrat leanings aside to do the right thing here. That leaves just Jason Stevens, just Jason Stevens, the illegal speaker, the, the unethical speaker, the, the unelected speaker by Republicans. Think about that. That's the most important part about all this. He was not elected to hold that gavel by Republicans. He was elected by Democrats. Democrats meaning all 32 of the Democrats in the Ohio House and 22 of the Republicans who are acting like Democrats, the transitioning Democrats, those trans-Dems who sided with them, are the only ones, uh, uh, you know, on the Republican side, honestly, who, who made Jason Stevens, who gave him this power. So I'm looking at it, and, and, you know, we've made these people as famous as we possibly can. We have read their names. You know who they are. You know what they are responsible for. They are responsible for Jason Stevens having the gavel. They are responsible for the deals made with the Democrats to not, to not amend the Ohio Constitution and not get in the way of their ballot initiative to codify um, abortion and more into the Ohio Constitution. What they've done here is unconscionable. And the question is, is what are we going to do about it? The question is... How do we hold them to account? Outside of the obvious, which is never voting for them again, what else? I am calling on every Republican donor who has ever donated a nickel to Jason Stevens or any of the other trans Dems, any of the other gang of 22, to pledge to never fund one what any one of them in any future elections, whether it be re-election for their current uh, seats, or in the case of Tom Patton, the only Republican in Cuyahoga County to sit in the uh, in the in the House, 
who is going to be term limited out, who's going to want to go to the Senate. I need every single donor, particularly the big donors, the well-heeled donors, who have funded these people in the past to never give them another nickel. Not for anything. Because what they're doing is indefensible. Stevens' decision, back to the article, uh, uh, reflects the House Republican caucus's struggle to wrangle the three-fifths majority required for lawmakers to propose a constitutional amendment to the voters. They face an unprecedented lobbying campaign that has united anti-abortion groups with pro-gun organizations in favor of the change, but opposition from former governors and attorneys general of both parties, election workers, labor unions, the ACLU, the League of Women Voters, and hundreds of others. Compounding that difficulty, the Republican-dominated Senate proposed taking the already controversial amendment and putting it on an August ballot that will cost the state $20 million to pull off. This just a few months after Republicans passed a law eliminating most August elections, arguing they're overly expensive and anti-democratic given the typically thin turnout. DeWine signed that bill into the law in January. Let me pause there and say, so what? It is not illegal. It is absolutely 100% ethical. And despite the cost, it is worth it, as Nat Huffman himself said. I can't think of a better, I think it was Huffman, I apologize if I'm misquoting, but I can't think of a better way to spend $20 million than to save 30,000 lives, uh, uh, babies' lives every year in the state of Ohio. For some House Republicans, scheduling an August election is a bridge too far. State Representative Jamie Callender, a trans-Democrat, also known as a Concord Republican, has previously said he supports the proposal in principle, but not asking the question in an August ballot. That means he is willing to sell out unborn children's lives and young kids who are being completely brainwashed by the social contagion of transgenderism to go ahead and have uh, chemical castration performed, hormone blockers, and more without parental consent. John Cross, another trans Democrat, said, let's do it while people are paying attention, offering March of 2024 as a potential time slot for the referendum. March of 2024 will be four months after you complete and utter dolt. Four months after it is too late, because this this ballot initiative is going on in November of 2023. Discerning exactly how many Republican votes they will need has emerged as a vexing question. It should not be. If there is a full House of 99 members and you need a three-fifths majority, yes, you need 60 votes. There are not 99 members in the House. There are 97 members in the House due to a death and a resignation. So when you only have 97, then you do not need 60. You need 59, and that is exactly what they have. Now, would it be too much for us to ask one of the trans Dems, one of the 22 who have not voted for this, to add their name to the list to make it 60 just for a formality, just to make sure that nobody can argue that part of this case anymore? Is it too much to ask one of these reprehensible, repugnant, sellouts to do what's right by the constituents, to do what's right by their office? Is it too much to ask for that? Apparently it is. Behind the scenes, Ohio Right to Life President Michael Ganadakis and Buckeye Firearms Association, Association Legislative Director Rob Sexton have waged a pressure campaign asking House Republicans to commit in writing to the proposal. They claim to have commitments from 59 Republicans. When are we going to hear from the rest?
Why can't we get at least one of them? Five Republicans who have not pledged their support. According to the list, I've given you their names. I'll give them to you again. Trans-Democrat sellout Jay Edwards. Trans-Democrat sellout Brett Hillier. Trans-Democrat pro-death cultist Gail Manning. Trans-Democrat pro-death cultist Scott Oslager. And trans-Democrat pro-death cultist Tom Patton of Strongsville. None of you deserve to call yourselves Republicans. You can never call yourselves conservatives. And you sure as hell should never blaspheme and call yourselves pro-life again. I've got more on this, but I welcome your thoughts. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110 on Always Right Radio. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, it's 935, Always Right Radio indeed. Thanks for being with us. Phone lines are open to you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. You know, um, back in January, after all of this went down, after the trans Dems uh, identified themselves as Democrats, even though they are in the Republican Party, um, I had a few of them on. After the January 3rd official vote that gave Jason Stevens the gavel and a debt to pay back to the Democrats who supported him and gave him this opportunity, I had a few of them on the radio. One of them was uh, was Al Catrona. Al Catrona, state representative, came on, and I I did what I do. I I dressed him down along with every other of the 22, which, by the way, we need to start changing to the gang of 23. We really do. And I'll tell you why in a, in a, in a bit. But I had Al Catron on, and, uh, and I told him how unconscionable this was. We had a great opportunity to have a veto-proof majority of 67 Republicans united behind the one they chose in the caucus, Derek Marin, as the speaker, to unite behind him and pass a conservative agenda that no Democrat could stop, that even trans-dem Governor Mike DeWine couldn't veto, because it would be veto-proof with the majorities in both of the uh, both sides of the uh, General Assembly. The opportunity before us was just momentous to cement. Ohio as a true red state, believers in limited government, believers in uh, constitutional principles, both state and federal, national constitutions, to do right by life, to do right by uh, good, hardworking residents of Ohio. We had an opportunity that was unprecedented before us. How, I asked Al Catrona and D.J. Swearingen and Bill Seitz, and others, how can you possibly justify giving that away by splitting the Republican supermajority into two segments and then one of those segments partnering with the Democrats, giving them a seat at the table that they electorally did not earn? How can you do that? How can you give Jason Stevens the gavel and take it away from the guy you said you would vote for? Unanimously, everybody at the caucus said, whoever wins our vote will be unanimously selected on January 3rd to be the speaker. 
How can you justify giving this to Jason Stevens? I said, and Al Catrona said, no, you don't understand. He said, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. It's going to be super conservative. And it's it's no going to be no different than it would have been under Marin. We're going to have a great conservative uh, agenda. We're going to get it passed. And you, well, what else did he say? At the end of the day, I believe that we're going to have a conservative agenda. And I think you're going to ask me back onto your show three months from now, two months from now, six months from now, and you're going to say, Petrona, I'm surprised. I, I, I you know I was concerned at first uh, that there was not going to be this conservative agenda. And but you're going to you're going to ask me back on here. And you're going to say you're right. You guys have moved this bill, you moved that bill. I believe that, you know, and I can't speak uh, for the for the speaker, and I think that, frankly, it's the will of the caucus, and then, you know, that a lot of people need to recognize um, that's a big part of it. But I think that once we sit down and we go over our priorities, I think you're going to see a lot of things like save women's sports. I think you're going to see a lot of things that deal with, you know, those conservative values that both you and I have. And so, you know, at the end of the day, there was no deal that was cut. It comes down to the fact that, you know, do you want a functional house or not? Well, Al Catrona, uh, you said three months, five months, six months. I'm going to have you back on the show, and, and I'm going to be saying you were right. It's a great conservative agenda we're pushing forth. Glad you guys did what you did. That's what he, he claimed. Well, he made that statement on January 4th on this program, the day after the Speaker Steele on January 3rd. Well, today is May 3rd, so tomorrow would be four months, if my math is right, from January to May. Tomorrow would be four months, so it's kind of right in that right in that zone that you just said. You said three months, five months, six months, so we're right in the middle of that, four months. I'm ready. I'm ready for you to come back. I reached out to Al Catrona last night. I reached out to Al Catrona this morning. Johnny Hiles, my producer, has been reaching out to Al Catrona and Marcy Peebles for the last couple of weeks because we knew this moment was coming. You you dared us, basically, to have you back on. You dared us to come back in and then, and then give a mea culpa, eat a plate of crow. And to say, boy, Al, you did pick a great guy. Your, your, your agenda here is fantastic. You guys are killing it. You're off the charts. You told me to bring you back. Well, I'm inviting you back. Why are you ghosting us? Why are the rest of the gang of 22 ghosting us? I want to know. I want to know why it is that we can't get them to speak out on this now. We're four months in. We've been asking Tom Patton to come. Johnny, how long have we been asking Tom Patton to come on this show? Since this all went down, pretty much since since January fourth, perhaps right. But Correct. but when when did when did the messages and calls in earnest begin? Shortly after. Uh, Short, shortly after. Shortly the after. Vote? Yeah. Yeah. Shortly after the vote. Probably about a week after. About a week after. Tom Patton won't come on. He's the only Cuyahoga County Republican in the House, and he happens to be one of the twenty-two, and he happens to be one of the five that won't sign that bill or uh, uh, sign that uh, resolution rather to bring this August election forward. He won't become the sixtieth. Uh, um, we've got 59. He won't become the 60th. He's one of the holdouts. Why? These people claimed that what they were doing was right for the constituents of Ohio. And now they and their chosen speaker are, are going to sit there and let the deadline of next Wednesday pass. The deadline to get an August special election scheduled is Wednesday, one week from today. And Jason Stevens has punted this matter to well, next week. 
Because, quote, we know this is a very important issue. This is dealing with our Constitution. So it's the most important issue before the House right now, end quote. So because it's so important, rather than getting it done now, he's going to punt it to up against the deadline. And what he will do and what he will not do are these. He will not have the courage to just say, no, I disagree with having the, the August special election, and I'm willing to let the ballot initiative in November uh, be heard and let the people vote. He won't say that because that takes courage and that takes guts. What he will do is allow the deadline to pass quietly. Let it fade away without having to take a position on it one way or the other and then say we just couldn't quite get it all done in time. But it's okay. It'll be better to have it in March of 2024 anyway. That's what he will do. And if this isn't the end of Jason Stevens' political career, if it isn't the end of Tom Patton's political career, if it isn't the end of the political career of of Bill Seitz, Al Catrona, Bob Young, Brett, uh, um, Bob Peterson, Brett Hillier, Cindy Abrams, DJ Swearing, and Don Jones, Gail Pavliga, uh, uh, Horace Gownbari, um, Jason Stevens, Jay Edwards, Gene Schmidt, Jeff Luray, John Cross, Kevin Miller, Mike Loychik, Monica Rob uh, Blasdell, Sarah Carruthers, Scott Olslager, and Tracy Richardson, then something very, very wrong is going on in this state. If they are allowed to get away with what they just did, they've already been censured by the state central committee. Other uh, uh, central committees have indeed voted to censure them in their own districts and regions and counties. But if this isn't the end of their political careers, then something very, very wrong is going on in the state of Ohio that it will be irreparable. Ohio will go from being what should be a reliably red state to becoming a blue state in a blink of an eye. Because the Democrats have just flexed their power. They bought and paid for 22 left-leaning um, pseudo-Republicans who are trans-Democrats. That's the reality of it. Joe is in Westlake. Joe, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Joe. Bob, good morning. What an important conversation. It's so great you're having this. Ohio's already been betrayed and turned to the Democrats. That happened at least in 2021, let me tell you a quick story. The anti-vaccine mandate bill was stuck in the health committee being held up by Republican Scott Lips. I was at a uh, political event and I kind of cornered this state uh, senator and I I said, hey, what's up with this holding up the bill? It doesn't make any sense. It's the most popular bill in history. We've got people calling like mad. Is it the money? And, And basically he said, yes. You know, in a kind of uh, moment of uh, candor, it is the high donors, and it's not only that; it's what it's what these high donors can do for those reps and senators and their family. So, what we need is more analysis of who's donating to them, and more analysis of what favors they're getting. Either both new laws and both we as conservatives doing that analysis. And one more quick thing: this AI thing in D.C. tomorrow, don't trust it. They're trying to stop the average person from having access to AA technology. They only want to keep it to big corporations. Thanks. Thank you, Joe, for the call. Um, Just to follow up on that very, very briefly, when you talk about the the money and the donors, I reached out to a couple of uh, very, very uh, well-heeled donors um, who who make decisions on to whom to give their political contributions. And um, and I asked them 
to to do whatever they could within their own particular realm, in other words, the realm of high-dollar donors, to end the careers of these people. If this is allowed, to, if this deadline is allowed to come and go next week, to end the careers of these people, most specifically Jason Stevens. And some of the individuals are very, very favorable of or, or to Jason Stevens. They're friendly with them. They're supporters of them. Of him, rather. Big important. And their eyes are, are just like bug-eyed right now as well in saying, I cannot believe he's doing this. I cannot believe he's doing this. I would never have imagined this. And you know what? Nobody knows it until it happens. I get it. I'm not condemning and I'm not judging anybody. But I'm asking donors respectfully to consider pulling all financial support, not only your own dollars, but others who are in your, you know, in your, uh, in your same clubhouse, if you will, pull, pull any funding and support from all of these people. They cannot ever get another nickel of support. If they're going to get it, they're going to have to get it from actual Democrats so that they can continue their transition into becoming full Democrats. One of the individuals that I spoke to yesterday about this said, and I quote, he lied to my face, talking about Jason Stevens. He lied to my face. He is doomed. The state gave him a mandate and a supermajority. He spat in their face for power. I will go door-to-door in his district if I have to. And my response to that individual would be the same response I have to all of the high-dollar donors. You don't have to go door-to-door. You can. But you need to get to the the real source of most of their power and funding, and that is other high-dollar donors. Other people in your, like I said, in your your realm, in your group, in your, you know, the people in that that, uh, uh, space, if you will. High-dollar donors need to pull all of their funding from all of these trans Dems. John Stover is the president of Ohio Value Voters. He is on the line now at AM 1420, The Answer. I kind of thought you might have a thought on this, uh, John Stover. Go right ahead. Bob, I tell you what, I woke up this morning and my uh, blood pressure was somewhere around 120 over 80. Uh, Listening to you here for the last 30 minutes, roughly, it's uh, about 160 over uh, 100. Uh, You know, let me just say this. Uh, This is nothing short in my opinion, of a bait-and-switch, you know, a very slick political maneuver by Jason Stevens. If nothing happens to get this uh, August ballot initiative in place, and he has the power to do so, all it ended up taking, Bob, was 50 signatures of Republicans on that discharge petition. At that point in time, there's no and, ifs, or buts. It comes to the House floor for a vote. But Jason Stevens, it appears now, has gone through the motions to appear, I, I testified last week on two hearings uh, that had taken place on two bills, Senate Bill 192, House Bill 144, has everything to do with the uh, August special election. And um, people and by, I spoke and by, to... By the, way, by the way, John, just to, just to clarify this, too, um, I was just talking about how all we need is one of them to become the 60th, so this is no longer a, deb- a dispute or a debate about whether 59 out of, of 97 works versus you know 60 out of, uh, of 99. And Jason Stevens could be that one. Jason Stevens could say, you know what, I'm going to prove to you uh, that I'm a man of my word, and I'm going to be the 60th person to sign this. He is a representative in addition to being the speaker. He can sign it, right? Absolutely. Bob. Okay. All and he's got to do to else? put this to bed is say, yes, let's bring this to the floor. Uh, all he's got to do is go ahead and sign it himself, or he could just declare it himself, I'm bringing this to the floor, out of committee, which he could do. He he is he, The ball is in his court here. Uh, but again, 
It is also in the court of any one of those others who have refused to do this, and I, including Tom Patton. So let's bring that, bring that local here to Cuyahoga County. Why do you think Tom Patton, who had a pretty strong pro-life record, um, would be one of the holdouts here to not sign this and bring this to the floor for a vote, get it on the ballot in August, and let's see what the people of Ohio say? Yeah, that is a good question. Our organization has uh, supported uh, uh, Representative Patton in the past because of his position that he has taken and uh, filling out our questionnaire as far as the life issue is concerned. But, you know, Bob, getting back to Jason Stevens, Jason mm-hmm. Stevens has the ability, has the power. You know, it, uh, the old uh, uh, sign that was on Truman's desk back when he was president, the buck stops here, the buck stops with Jason Stevens. He has the ability to bring this out. I've uh, had open letters to uh, people that we communicate with throughout the state from Ohio Value Voters basically saying this, Bob. I said, look, the speaker has every right to be opposed to, as he said, he was quoted, uh, he quoted himself in this language willy-nilly on Twitter back on March 24th. He says, you know, the Constitution should not be changed willy-nilly. Well, that's fine. If you are opposed to it, Mr. Speaker, You have every right to campaign against it, but one individual does not have the right to prohibit the people of the state of Ohio from voting on this measure. He needs to bring it out, let the thing, you know, pass it, get get the uh, ballot initiative in place for August, Mm -hmm. and then let the people vote upon it. He does not have the right. And, you know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, you can't get the speaker on your show because he would have to answer for, you know, his actions. But uh, our position, Bob, none of those is cowards, uh, none of those cowards will come on the show and answer for their actions. None of them. I mean, we've reached out to so many of these people so many different times, and we can't get them on. And 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 while everything you just said about Stevens is true, it's not just Stevens. Some of the responses from people like John Cross, like I said before, uh, you know, saying, you know, um, this is too important of an issue to be put on in uh, in August when there's a very light turnout. We should put this on in March of 2024, five months after the fact or four months after the fact. Hey, Bob, look, you know what? They have a supermajority. All we need is 60. If John Cross, Jason Stevens, and two or three others want to vote against it, then they have to go back to their districts and defend why they voted against it. But, you know, here's the, here's the game. Here's the game that's being played, Bob. Here's the game that's being played. They don't want it to come to a vote because then they have to answer to their vote, and then Jason Stevens in the deals potentially that we have here, and it certainly appears that this is one of them with Allison Russo because of the fact that we can't get this thing moved upon. If, if there was no deal cut on January 3rd, instead of traveling to Florida on, the, I believe it was the 16th and 17th or 17th and 18th, and having a fundraiser yep. down there and rubbing elbows with, you know, all of these, you know, big money people, he would have been calling the House to order and said, look, we need to get this done for the people in the state of Ohio. Let them determine if we want to change our Constitution. It's not for one individual in the state to make that decision. Yep. It should have, we should have been voting on this yesterday. We should have been voting on this yesterday if he'd have done his job. John Stover, uh, president of Ohio Value Voters. John, thanks very much. I appreciate you calling in. I want to bring in Lisa Sticken now. Uh, Lisa, thank you. I knew you would have a thought on this as well. Lisa, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for covering this on your show. Yes, um, Bob, I, I agree with your, your thought that they're going to try to let this pass, quote, quietly. And, oops, it's too late. We can't get it on the ballot in August. I say we don't let it pass quietly. I mean, at this point, we have up until, I believe, next Tuesday. Let's get the word out. Let's call your representative. If you live in a district with one of the 22 or someone who may be on the bubble, make sure you contact, reach out. 
have your friends, your network reach out to who care about these issues. Uh, also, I do believe the state Republican Central Committee is meeting this Friday. I believe this issue will come up. We'll see if they pass a resolution or at least a message to, to the Speaker and to the House. And, Bob, I want one final note. I mean, while obviously the pro-life issue, the abortion issue is, is, is clearly important, mm-hmm. this also extends to, you know, the redistricting uh, rules and laws and changes to redistricting to make uh, Democrat gerrymandering a thing, uh, you know, the minimum wage. This, this extends to so much in our Constitution. And, you know, for us to have a supermajority and to give up this kind of ground is just, it's just, it, it makes me angry. So this is. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Yeah, it's very important. I, I've been focused on the abortion issue because that one's the most pressing because they have that ballot initiative. The language is of already course. certified and so forth, as well as taking parents' rights away and when it comes to their kids and their confusion. Uh, but you're right. It goes beyond that. This would be a forever thing. This is, you know, a 60% threshold would be for all of the other things that they want to do to right. try to change this state from, from, you know, again, the reliably red conservative values state that we are. So you're right. There are many, many other things things to come down the line that have to be done here and why they are so resistant to that uh, lisa um the only thing i can ask or say or ask here is is i wonder mm-hmm. what allison russo and the other democrats who gave them this power have on them because they could have just said you know what you know we're making a deal with you and i promise you we'll do this that or the other thing and then renege on it you know and you know what play democrat politics with democrats and say oh sorry i we, we rethought it and we're not going to do that now what are, what are they going to do democrats are going to be able to do anything about it they got a very tiny super minority for crying out loud right but if so but if they honor the deal uh, and allow this to pass like we're talking about and we don't get a 60th vote and we don't get anything brought to the floor and this whole thing goes the way, you know, the way it seems that it is. Um, I, I cannot help but wonder if it's because Alice and Russo and the Democrats some, have something far, far, far stronger on them that they can hold over them beyond just a handshake agreement that we'll, uh, we'll make a deal here. Right. Well, I also think it's, it's the speaker's support. I mean, considering the coalition he pulled together, to come into power, perhaps he's still relying on that coalition, and perhaps the other Republicans want this agenda, and the ones within his coalition don't. I mean, whether this is the deal that was cut or not, it seems to be where, where it's heading, or there's reluctance, I should say, to put it up to vote, perhaps to expose the people that don't want to vote for it. But look, you know, you make a deal, arrangement, I'll sign this letter, you get so many signatures, you know, whether it's 59 or 60 signatures, there's clear support, bring it to the floor. And for, for goodness sake, you know, this is in the moment. Yes, this is about this, this, this horrific abortion, uh, you know, amendment that that's going to be on the ballot. But but it's about, again, so much more, too. So much more. And I just it need really the Republicans in Columbus to just remember who put you there and the fact that we are a super majority. Let's stick together. So. Thank you, well, Bob, for covering Lisa, thank And thank you for calling in on it. Lisa, stick in the chair of the Republican Party of Calgary County. I appreciate that very much. We'll stay in touch over the next few days and see what happens next Wednesday. That'll be the deadline. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you again. You got right. it. Uh, thanks to John Stover as well. Thanks to everybody who's calling on this. We'll take a time out. Time out, time out is what I'm trying to say. Now for news. And on the other side, we're going to shift gears entirely. We're going to get away from the current events, take a little bit of a deep breath, and we're going to look at one of the more fascinating eras uh, in American history, the area of the mafia, the uh, the particularly the New York Five families, because one man who was one of the most powerful capos in one of those families is now living a, a very different life as a motivational speaker, a man of faith, and he's bringing that message to Northeast Ohio, Michael Franzese. He'll join me next on AM 1420, The Answer. 
You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. Always right radio all the time on AM 1420. The answer. Thanks for being with us. Hour number two is underway now. Nine minutes past 10 o'clock. We got Jack Windsor coming up after the uh, top of the 11 o'clock hour. We'll go back into the Jason Stevens discussion on what's going to happen with the potential August election situation. But we want to pivot now. As I said prior to the break at the top of the hour, we've spoken to this gentleman before, but. Um, not with the depth we're about to. Uh, and if you are willing to and uh, interested in attending his show, his presentation that's coming up in June, you're going to learn more about the mafia than you probably thought you ever could. More than that, though, you're going to learn about redemption. You're going to learn about turning a corner, turning a page, and leaving a life of crime and corruption and embracing something much, much more meaningful. Uh, that is the Michael Franzi story. Uh, he's a best-selling author. He is a speaker, as noted. Uh, he was born into mafia life. He didn't really have much of a choice. Second-generation member of the Colombo crime family, born into the situation, uh, was uh, on his way to a potentially prosperous career as a doctor before he decided he had to uh, step away from that dream and, and per- pursue the family business once his own father was incarcerated. It's an amazing story, like I said, not just one of history, but one of um, an incredible transformation and something very, very special at the present moment. Michael Franzese joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer, to talk about a, uh, a story that people need to hear and a story that people can hear in much more depth, again, coming up in a presentation in June at the Lorraine Palace Theater. Michael, good morning. Thanks for joining us here in Cleveland again. How are you? Well, good morning, Bob. I'm good, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, and uh, uh, we're going to talk about your book, Mafia Democracy. We're going to talk about the presentation, but let's start with the backstory, because that is obviously the, your, your, your claim to fame here is uh, one of the most powerful mafia members in America. I mean, I didn't know there were rankings on this, but there are. And you made Fortune's list of the top 50 most powerful mafia bosses at the time as a capo in the Colombo family. So let's talk a little bit about the history and the backstory that brought you to where you are today, starting with what I said. You were born into this uh, lifestyle, right, Michael? Well, yeah, I was, Bob. I mean, my dad, uh, Sonny Francis, was the underboss of the Colombo family back in the 60s. And he very high profile. I always say that my dad was kind of the John Gotti of his day in terms of law enforcement investigations, media attention. He was very, very high profile, always under investigation, <clears throat> excuse me, always a major target of law enforcement. So I grew up you know, in that atmosphere where we had police around us all the time, you know, everybody investigating my dad. And, and um, so I knew from an early age that there was certainly something different about him, the way he conducted himself, the people that he had around him, the fact that he was being arrested all the time. Uh, but again, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, later on Long Island, uh, but my dad tried to keep me out of this life. He wanted me to go to school, be a doctor, you know, be the first uh, professional in the family, he would say. And I was on that road, uh, you know, I was an athlete in school, and um, until my dad got in some very serious trouble back in the 60s, indicted several times in the state of New York, very serious crimes, uh, twice for grand larceny, once for murder. He went to trial three times, he was acquitted in all those cases, fortunately, 
But then in 1966, my dad was indicted in federal court for masterminding a nationwide string of bank robberies. And he was uh, convicted after a lengthy trial and sentenced to 50 years in prison. You know, Bob, it was the longest sentence for a bank robbery conspiracy case ever given up to that point. He allegedly ordered the bank robberies. And in 1970, he was shipped off to Leavenworth Penitentiary to do his time. And I was a pre-med student at Hofstra University at the time. And when dad went in, I was devastated. I mean, I love my dad. He was my hero. You know, I, I just really loved him very, very much. And when he went in at 50 years old, you know, I figured he had 50 on top of that. Uh, he'd never come out of prison alive. It was a death sentence. And it was during that time that Joe Colombo, the boss of our family, who I was close with, our families obviously were close, mm -hmm. uh, he started the Italian-American Civil Rights League after his son was uh, indicted on a charge that he thought was, uh, you know, a phony charge. And he called us all to start uh, picketing the FBI building in, in uh, Manhattan on 69th Street and 3rd Avenue. I was one of the first to picket on that line, thinking that it was a way to help my father who uh, I believe until today was framed for that case. He was no bank robber. I mean, I, you know, we uncovered all evidence to prove that he never ordered those robberies. But as a result, he did 40 years in prison um, as a result of that. So that's kind of how it started, you know. And, um, you know, I got highly influenced by Joe Colombo and the, and the guys that I met on the line that were, you know, friendly with my dad. There were some of his men. And I just lost interest in school and said, if I'm going to help my father get out of prison, it's not going to be by being a doctor. And, and my dad and I had a discussion in uh, Leavenworth Penitentiary in the visiting room. And it was at that point in time that he realized my mind was made up to try to help him. And he proposed me for membership uh, in the Colombo family. That was like 1970, 71. Wow. So uh, we're talking with Michael Franzese this morning. Michael is... Um is going to give a tremendous presentation. It's coming up on June 24th at the Lorraine Palace Theater. It's a 70-minute speech followed by question and answer opportunities for you to learn more about his story, a mob story. But it's, again, a story of redemption. So so your father is in prison. You are going into that life. He proposes you for membership. Were you excited about it, or were you? did you go into it with a little bit of trepidation? Did you feel like, I have to do this to help my father? I have to do this to, you know, obviously make up for the income that we lost when he went to prison. I've got to find a way to earn for the family as well. Did you go into it thinking, I really have to do this? Or were you excited and thinking, you know, there's something really, really attractive to this? Well, you know, Bob, that's a great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that before. But, you know, unlike so many others, I didn't aspire to be a mob guy all my life. I mean, I was, you know, I was an athlete. If you would ask me at, you know, an early age, what did you want to be in life? Well, I wanted to play center field for the New York Yankees. You know, Mickey Mantle was, was kind of the guy I wanted to follow. But so I never aspired to be in that life like so many others. You know, when I was finally brought into that life, they had an expression that was all over La Cosa Nostra at that time that the books were closed. They weren't making any new guys. They weren't bringing guys into the family. The only way you can do that is if someone, and this was all five families in New York, if someone died in the family, you were allowed to replace him. But other than that, books were closed. They weren't bringing in guys. So when I got made, the books were open in the early 70s, mid-70s. I was there with guys that were waiting 20 years, you know, to, to come into that life. This is all they dreamed about. This is all they wanted. It was, you know, that kind of an excitement for them. For me, it was different. You're right. Initially, strictly to help my dad. If this was the way to help him out, then I needed to help him out. But, you know, the night that I did get made, I'm going to be honest with you, because <clears throat> I put in two and a half 
years of, <clears throat> excuse me, being a recruit where I had to prove myself worthy, the night that I took the oath, Halloween night, 1975, it was, uh, I mean, it was exhilarating. Uh, you know, I, I worked hard to get there. I was finally something, uh, you know, that was part of what my dad was a part of, who I loved. We were, you know, bound by blood in a different way now. It was a very special feeling. I had a very idealistic view of the life at that point in time. Michael, um, you obviously, you know, made a decision, as you pointed out, you're going to do this. You're going to be a part of this. You, uh, you're you going to help your dad. You're going to help your family. You take the oath and so forth. And you go into this, you know, originally because your father was sentenced to prison, but after your career of earnings and and incredible earnings again and i'm just looking at some of the you know some of the press about you uh that you generated an estimated 5 to 8 million dollars a week between legal and illegal schemes and businesses and so forth you were one of the biggest money earners the mob had seen according to to the press since al capone so you go through all of those things michael and and it results in you ending up in the same place that your father was. Tell us what brought you down. Tell us why you ended up with a 10-year prison sentence. Well, yeah, you know, when I came into the life, I was motivated to do two things. Number one, get my dad out of prison. And by the way, I did get him out after 10 years on parole. Um, but he kept going back in. He was violated five times, and he actually did 40 years on that 50 from parole violations and everything else. But secondly, I was before you before you continue on with that, I have to follow up on that. Were those earned violations or were they watching him like a hawk, just trying to bust him on any little thing he does so they could get him back in? Or did he did he actually go out and commit the crimes that were, you know, that were the violations? Well, you know, most of the time it was for association. They found him associating with another felon or somebody alleged to be an organized crime. You can't do that when you're on federal parole. Mm -hmm. So he, he thought he was being covert, and they were surveilling him all the time. And if they weren't surveilling him, they were surveilling the person he went to see. Got it. So, yeah, he kept getting uh, <clears throat> busted on, on association violations, <clears throat> excuse me, which was crazy. I, I kept getting upset with him on that. But anyway, um, so he kept going in. But you're right. We needed money. You know, we needed to pursue this legally. Lawyers are expensive. We had to hire investigators. And I had to support my mother and my younger brothers and sisters because after a while, you know, the money runs out. Whatever my dad had on the street, after two or three years, it was gone. So we had to, we had to fend for ourselves. <coughs> so I was motivated to, to make money. And I was fortunate in that I knew how to use that life to benefit me in business and I brought some new things into the family that hadn't been done before. I was very aggressive, Bob, on the street. I worked 24-7, highly motivated to, uh, to, to be successful in that life. And as a result, uh, you know, I enjoyed a, a fair amount of success. You know, in that life, it's kind of divided into two classes. You're either a racketeer or a gangster. The racketeers in that life are the guys that were bringing in the money. And they were few, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of us. In our family, we had 115 guys I think out of the 115, maybe 20 of us were earners. The rest of the guys were, you know, just, just getting by whatever they were doing. You know, no-show job, little numbers bit, maybe a little gambling operation, loan shocking, something like that. But they weren't making big money. Um, and so we had to support not only the family, I mean, not only ourselves, but the family also. So, uh, And I was more in that category. I was more of a racketeer than, than a gangster in that regard. So, uh, And again, just fortunate, knew how to use the life and uh, – and uh, went on to make a very significant amount of money. 
You know, I, I'm curious about something, Michael. We're talking to Michael Franzese. He's got a new book out. It's called Mafia Democracy that we're going to discuss as well as uh, this this stage presentation, this show that he's going to put on. Uh, he's going to give a talk for about 70 minutes. It's called uh, Michael Franzese's A Mob Story, and it's going to be at the Lorraine Palace Theater on Saturday, June 24th. We'll give you details on tickets on that in a moment. But uh, just to follow up on what you said, I've always been kind of interested in this. We talk about the difference between the racketeers and the gangsters and the earners versus the those who just you know made their way however they had to and i'm curious how does a gangster who's not an earner get by you say they're just getting by is there a salary does a does a capo pay his gangsters and like flipping bills and say here you go you know you got to do the heavy work that you know to to you know to enforce the stuff that i got to do i mean i'm just curious or, or or do they all does everybody steal and then they just have to kick up the certain amount to the bosses and they keep what they don't have to kick up how does how how does the <laughs> you know the enterprise work for the earners well you kind of got it right uh, you know the second thing that you said you know, there's a big fallacy in that life that once you come into the life, you know, people are throwing money at you and all of a sudden, you know, your family's taken care of, you are. You know, it's just the opposite, Bob. The night I got made, you know, after we all took the oath, we went into a, a, a banquet hall and we had a, you know, we do what we always do. You know, we eat, we, we drink some wine and we enjoy. And one of the captains in the family at that time came in and uh, he told the boss he was carrying a brain, brown paper bag and he said, hey, boss, should I give them all that bag of money now? Because that's what you think. You come into that life and everybody becomes wealthy. It's just the opposite. You got to support the life or you got to support yourself. Nobody's handing you anything. Now you can use what the life has to offer and try to take advantage of that on your own to make money. But no, you're kicking up to the, to the family. You got to, you got to fend for yourself. And if you're just getting by, well, that's on you. You're just getting by. You know, and people think, well, you get paid to do this. You get paid to do that. It's not true. A lot of guys had no-show jobs with unions. We did control the unions, so we could put a guy on, uh, you know, but other guys had maybe a little numbers operation, you know, they're stealing stuff out of the back of a truck, you know, they're bringing their own stuff in, in and, uh, and yes, they're kicking up to the family because anything you do on the street, uh, you have to kick up to the, uh, to the boss. So, um, you know, and that's, that's it. So if you're not an earner, if you don't know how to use that life, you know, you better figure out something. And, and if you had a legitimate business, like I had two car agencies, I had a production company, that was yours. If you got it on your own, acquired it on your own, didn't borrow any money from the family to get involved, well, then that's yours. They don't take anything from that unless you want to give it. You know, that's up to you. Um, and, you know, I had both. I mean, I had a big operation on the street, and I had a lot of legitimate things going. And like I said, I was fortunate. I knew how to, you know, take advantage of what the life had to offer. Michael Franzese's uh, true story has been uh, told many times on History Channel and National Geographic specials. He also has a bi-weekly YouTube show called Sit Down with Michael Franzese. Over 5 million people view those shows per month. You're going to get an opportunity to talk to and listen to Michael in person in June at the Lorraine Palace Theater. We're going to tell you more about that. We'll take a time out here, and we want to come back and talk about the Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio Mafia. Everybody knows, or we think we know quite a bit about the five families in New York that Michael was a part of, but what about the Cleveland Mafia, its history, and what happened there? We'll talk about that next on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
Okay, it's 1027. We continue our conversation with Michael Franzese. Uh, Michael Franzese is, uh, is an amazing story. He walked away from a life of crime and corruption in the New York Mafia as a uh, capo in the Colombo crime family. He's now a man of faith, uh, a born-again Christian, a man who spends his time mentoring youth and inspiring people with uh, speeches and talks around the country. Uh, Michael, tell me more about that part. We're, we're going to come back to the Ohio story that I teased in a moment but uh, after the bottom of the hour. But tell me about your work mentoring youth. What kind of message and what kind of reception do you get from young kids today who might be in at-risk lifestyles? Well, you know, Bob, it started for me when I was in prison. And uh, I came, you know, I was around so many of these young kids. I call them young kids now coming into the system, 19, 20, 21 years old, mandatory minimum drug sentences, so many of them. You know, in the feds, you get 20 years. There's no more parole. You're doing 17 and a half. Very, very tough for these young kids to come out of a situation like that and become productive members of society. So I always had a heart for kids. I started mentoring these young kids before I even became a person of faith. And it just struck me. They all had the same story. Broken home, no father figure in the house. They gravitate to a local gangbanger, local drug dealer. And before you know it, they're in prison or something worse. So I started mentoring to them. They looked up to me because, look, when you're in prison, you know, the mafia, Cosa Nostra, we have that MO that we're, you know, we're the top of the food chain when it comes to to organized crime. And in many ways, we were. Um, And so they looked up to me. I had credibility with them right away. And I tried to steer them in the right direction, you know, by telling them, you know, you, you just can't get away with criminal conduct anymore. When I got out, I just felt a real responsibility to uh, to continue that mentorship, so to speak. And I started speaking in juvenile halls. I started speaking in prisons and, and meeting with these young gangbangers. And I've been doing that for the past 25 years. And fortunately, you know, because of who I was and what I was a part of, I have instant credibility with them. And the main two things I tell them, Bob, I mean, so many things, but mainly I told them, listen, in this life, you are who you hang out with. You hang with the wrong crowd, pick the wrong people. You're going to be known to be the wrong type of person. And, of course, they're going to influence you. You're going to get a bullseye on your back from law enforcement. And that's it. You're not going to recover from that. You're going to go down. And I tell them this, too. You know, in life, who we are accountable to is going to direct the path that our life is going to go on. I tell them, listen, when I was in the street, I was accountable to my oath, to my boss. As a result, I was a criminal, ended up in prison, and I'm just very fortunate and blessed that I didn't die in here or or something worse happened to me. Uh, That's number one. But number two, you know, I'm accountable to my God, my wife and kids who want me to, you know, depend upon me and rely on me, and the people around me that support me and have put their faith in me. So as a result of that accountability, I stay on a straight path. And that's it. And and they get it. You know, I mean, there's a lot more that goes into trying to help them straighten their lives out. But basically, that's the message. And I really expand upon that and do my best to try to help them. That's uh, that's a phenomenal effort that you're making. And uh, and I want to talk more on the other side of this break here at the bottom of the hour about that, too, because I want to know how well they understand the messages that you bring. Because, you know, the, the heyday of the New York Mafia families is, is decades gone by. Do the young Gen Zers even know their American history? Do they know that part of history? Do they recognize who you are and what you've been through to trust you, to, to, to tell them the realities of the situation? So we can talk more about that. We'll talk about Ohio. And we're going to talk about your book, too. And the comparison between the mafia lifestyle or the mafia democracy, the title of your book, to the American federal government. We're going to get into that as we continue with Michael Franzis right after this. Well, 
spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob France and The Answer. That is our mission each and every day. It's 1037. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. And thanks also to Michael Franzese for sticking around with us to talk a little bit more about mob history, about a, a tremendous transformation of his life, and about a great presentation coming up in June. Michael is going to be live in Lorraine. That's like a hop, skip, and a jump away from my house in Elyria. So I will be there at the Lorraine Palace Theater. It's June 24th. Uh, Michael Franzese's, um, uh, Franzese's A Mob Story. Tickets are available now at LorrainePalace.com. LorrainePalace.com. You can also, uh, I believe, go to the webpage for Michael Franzese, MichaelFranzese.com, and I'll give you a phone number, too. You can get your tickets at the, the Lorraine Palace box office at 440-245-2323. One more time, 440-245-2323. And as a matter of fact... I am told that Michael has been generous enough to provide us with some tickets for you, complimentary. So how about this? Callers 6 and 7 right now will each score a pair of tickets to Michael's presentation on June 24th at the Lorraine Palace Theater. Callers 6 and 7 get a pair of tickets at 216-901-0945. So, Michael, going back to... um. What we had to say at the bottom of the hour, you were talking about your mentoring, and you started that even before you became a man of faith. And I was curious, you were talking about how the kids get it, and I'm really, really surprised by that to a certain extent, only because I don't really believe most of Generation Z, the young kids we're talking about today, today's 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds are different than they were in the 90s, I believe, uh, for example. Uh, do they know you? Do they understand the history of the, you know, the, the New York Mafia and that life that we're talking about? here that you are trying to steer them away from since it's kind of you know quite a bit in their rearview mirror well you know bob they kind of know me now because i've been so high profile and, and i will tell you this you know you mentioned it earlier the youtube platform that i have where we get you know we have over a million subs we get three to four million uh viewers a month uh it's the biggest platform in the world and and uh you know so many people are, are on that now we've been fortunate to break that million barrier but they get it. They understand it. But, you know, the interesting thing, when I visit with some of these gangbangers and, you know, in prisons, and they'll look at me and they'll say, oh, come on, Mike, you had all the girls. I saw good fellas. You had the, you know, you had the women, you had the cars, you had the best suits, you had the money, the power. And I tell them, yeah, but did you see the end of the movie? Would you fall asleep during that point? You, you seen who went to jail, who turned informant, who got killed? They don't see that part. They only want to see the glamour and the wealth and the riches and all of that. And that's where I really bear down on them, you know. And I said, look where you're sitting right now. You guys are sitting in jail. Do you not get it? And, you know, it's a process with them. But they get to understand it, especially the ones that have taken a fall or have gone through some kind of, you know, difficulty. And most of them have. But, uh you know, it's a shame. You know, we, we live in a tough generation with these kids. There's no question. But you got to tell them the truth and you got to hit them like right between the eyes with it. They got to know reality. And I, I've I found we've been able to help a lot of them. We really have. But, you know, whenever I go, you know, I always make sure that there is some place I can send them to get help afterwards. I don't just go in and talk to them because if I do, I'm going to get them on a high. But then I got to be able to send them someplace where they're going to get help. Because I tell law enforcement sometimes, you can't tell these kids to leave the life and then send them back into their neighborhood. Dangerous. We got to be able to provide for them, and we do. 
That's a great point. And, 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 you know, you're right, by the way, about the YouTube reach to these kids, because I've got a 19-year-old son who watches uh, shows like yours, podcasts and programs like yours religiously. They are really, really into it, so that makes perfect sense. That's a great way to reach them. So I, I was talking about this before, and I wanted to get you to expand upon it a little bit. Bring the mafia home to Cleveland, Ohio, for a moment, if you would, um, Michael, because it's totally coincidentally, by the way, last week I watched uh, uh, Kill the Irishman for the second time. I watched it back when it came out. It's been over 10 years now. That, of course, is the story of Danny Green uh, and his involvement with uh, you know, with the, the, some of the Cleveland crime families and their connections to New York and so forth. Uh, it just so happened I was watching that, not because you and I are talking today, but it, it's fresh in my mind now. Can you give us a little bit of that history and, and, and how it is and why that that particular aspect of the mafia the cleveland crime families um how that ended uh it, was it similar to the way things went down in new york yeah you know and, and sometimes we tend to overlook the presence of uh, the mob in, Cle- in cleveland uh you know we look at chicago obviously in new york and you know tampa florida and kansas city and new orleans but we, we kind of overlook cleveland I got a pretty good education. You know, look, you hear a lot of things when you're in that life, but I spent a lot of time with Pete Milano, who was related to Frank Milano. He came out to uh, Los Angeles, and he was kind of the boss. He was running things out there in L.A., and he and I did time together in Terminal Island. We were together, and I, I spent quite a bit of time. Nice guy. And, you know, we talked a lot about the history from, you know, Joe Leonardo when he started, and then Frank Milano, who was the boss in 1930. And then, uh, you know, John Scalise and Danny Green, when they went to war in the 70s, you know, all the car bombings that were going on back then. And I don't know if you, if you know this, but, you know, one of the, the uh, first, if not the first, uh, meeting of, of all the mob guys nationwide was at the, the Statler Hotel, the Hotel Statler. It was, I think it was in 1928 when they all got together. The police raided them or locked a lot of guys up. I don't think anything happened. But even Capone had a presence there. He sent people there. And, you know, Capone had a presence at the Cleveland Club. They say he was partners there, I think. Mo Dalitz came out of there. You know, the, the guys from Cleveland uh, protected him at the Desert Inn in, in Vegas. They, they were really the first guys that went into Vegas until Chicago took over. Jackie Presser, I'm sure you know his presence there. I you do. know the yeah, the, the Teamsters boss. And, uh, you know, so there was uh, there was a big presence uh, there. And, and obviously, yes, like it happened all over the country, you know, in the 80s. Uh, well, certainly for you guys, it started in the 70s with the war. Right. Uh, but in the 80s, it, it kind of finished it off between the racketeering laws and all the guys that went down, you know, and became informants. Uh, it really, really put a dent in, in my former life nationwide. And Cleveland was no exception to that. Yeah, 36 or 37 bombs or something like that, bombings in 1976 alone, I think, during that war that you're talking about uh, between Danny Green and uh, and and uh, some of the some of the Italian families he was battling with John Nardi versus uh, Licavoli and the rest. So it was a really a, a crazy time. Um, so I, I want to talk about the mafia in a different capacity now, and I want to talk about your book, Mafia Democracy, uh, Michael. Um, Joe Pistoni, this is this quote is included uh, as uh, you know as a promotion of the book, and I find it. Uh I find it very interesting. Joe Pistone, who is, of course, Donnie Brasco, for those who don't know, the former FBI agent who helped bring down, uh, I don't know, over 100-some people were arrested because of his investigations. But uh, 
Uh, I have always maintained that the government, said Joe Pistone, uh, is no different than the mafia. Um, Michael's book, A Mafia Democracy, is a perfect example of this, written by a real mafia insider who, after leaving the life, became a successful businessman, a productive citizen, a definite must-read for those who don't know the inside dealings of both our government and the mafia. So Joe says this is literally, they're literally run the same way. Is that the premise of the book? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Bob, when I wrote the book, I had just turned in a, a business book that I had written to my publisher, and they said, Mike, uh, we want you to write a political book. He said, what, what do you want to, you know, how do you want to start it? What do you want to do? What's the content going to be? I immediately answered. I said, well, you know, we have a mafia democracy that's operating out of Washington right now and in, in several states around the country. I said, let that be the title of the book and just turn me loose. And, you know, this was back seven years ago. So I started writing the book. I wrote four chapters and I turned to my wife and I said, why am I doing this? I said, you know, I have no trouble with the government now. Joe Pistone right now happens to be a good friend. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't befriend him back in the day because I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Uh, but um, I said, why am I doing this? People are going to get upset with me because the comparison is so realistic. It's so true. This government is operating so Machiavellian right now. It's, it's very mob-like. And I stopped writing the book. I went back and gave him my advance back. And I said, I don't need this. I'm not doing this now. But, you know, two years ago, the way it's gotten so much worse, Bob, I said, you know what? I have an obligation to write this book. I said, people have to understand what's going on. We have to hold our public officials accountable. And by the way, this is bipartisan. This is right across the board. Democrat, Republican, who's ever in power. I don't care who they are. Uh, if they're not doing the right thing and they're not, we have to hold them accountable. And all I try to do is point out the comparisons, how Machiavellian they are. You know, Machiavelli operated with a premise. Uh, you know, when you're in the mob, you had to read his book, The Prince. You go to prison, you read The Prince. Everybody, all of us do that. And one of his, his, his ideologies was he was advising his prince how to maintain control of his kingdom. And what he said to the prince is, look, you can do anything you need to do to maintain control. You can lie, steal, cheat. You could even murder. But to the outside world, you must always seem upright honest and having integrity and that's how our government is operating and, and it's to the detriment of the people and again i don't care if it's republican democrat independent doesn't matter when they're lying to us and they're doing things that are hurting us as a, as, as a society and they really are as a community we have to hold them accountable no matter who they are and i get into great detail in the book in the ways that they're doing this to us and i tell you you know the only trouble i had with my publisher now is uh, every time I kept adding chapters and they said, Michael, uh, you know, this book can go on forever. I says, you're right. I can write a new chapter almost daily, uh, but we had to stop at some point. But, um, you know, the, the satisfying thing for me, Bob, is that I, if you read the comments, people are saying, Michael, you know what? I get it. I see it. Because you read a chapter and you look at what's happening, you turn on the news and you see it. It's unfolding right before your eyes, everything that I'm saying to them. So, you know, hopefully it's been a service, uh, you know, you know, to the American people. That's what I'm hoping for. And from the uh, uh, comments that I've been getting and the message that I've been getting, uh, I, I think it's accomplishing that. And, and that's really all I wanted to do. I want to ask you a couple questions about it, though, more specifically. I know you write in this book about paternalistic government, and I want to know what you mean by that. And is it the same thing that the political left condemns as, quote-unquote, the patriarchy? 
Well, listen, you know, the, the way you maintain power and control is have people rely on you and depend upon you. Take away their independence. Make them rely on you. And that's what our government is doing. You know, if you see the workforce now, if, if you see the, the, the people, and I don't, when I say welfare, I don't mean specifically welfare, but people that are getting money living off the government, mm-hmm. you know, they're creating a nanny state so that they can control and have power over you. And you know what? In the mob, it's the same thing. It was all about maintaining power and control over people. That's how we earned. That's how we dominated. And the same thing is happening with the government. I pointed out, you know, very specifically there without getting into it now. I don't, we don't have enough time, but uh, I want people to understand that. You know, back in the day, I remember when my grandparents, you know, immigrated from, they wouldn't take anything from the government. They wouldn't, it, it was, it, they didn't want anything. They wanted to be their own person. And as a result, you know, this, this capitalistic, uh, ideology that we have in this country, we, we grew and we prospered and people became independent and, and wealthy and were able to take care of themselves. Now it's just the opposite. You know, and the more they control you, uh, but the more you depend upon them, the more they can control and impose things upon you. And we've seen that happen, especially over the past couple of years throughout the pandemic and everything else. And I just I, I have to make me people mind uh, mindful of that and understand how dangerous it is when you give people in power control over you. Michael Franzese is my guest. Um, I've got one more question about the book, and then I want to talk about the talk and uh, your, your your presentation you're going to be giving and that you're giving around the country. First, before I do that, congratulations to Art from Columbia Station and Sister Mary Grace from Old Brooklyn. They were our first two winners when they called in um, and as caller six and seven to get a pair of tickets to go see Michael Franzese's uh, Mob Story presentation in June. We'll have uh, a couple more pairs, I think, to give away at the end of our conversation. But one more quick one about the book. Um, you, you write about accountability. You talk about, you know, it's one thing to tell government officials and elected officials and representatives, you know, what we want them to do and that we're tired of them ignoring the will of the constituents, but it's another thing to hold them accountable. You know, there's no justice like mob justice. You cross the wrong red line with the wrong people in the mob, you get whacked. You can't whack politicians. How do we hold them accountable? Mafia style, in other words, mafia style with the success, but without the violence. Well, you know, there's still powers in numbers, and, uh, you know, the greatest asset that we have as, as free American citizens is at the voting booth. We gotta vote them out, and, and, and that's it. And I know, you know, Lewis, we had, you know, questions, uh, if there's been fraud at the ballot box, and I'm sure there has to a, to a degree, uh, hopefully not to a degree where it can turn an election around. Uh, but we have to hold them accountable at the booth. That's it. We have to vote them out. You know, Bob, let me ask you this, and I'm sure people understand this. You have a partner, a spouse, a business partner, a friend. They lie to you once. Ah, okay, you know, you straighten it out. Not a big deal. Second time, you start to get a little bit more concerned, but you straighten it out again. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth time. Hey, that's it. Enough. Cut it out. Done with them. We see these people getting on 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 camera, on television, and lying to us on a daily basis. And people turn around and say, well, it's politics. It's not politics. It's lying. And it's lying to a point that it impacts our lives. You know, when people make promises during campaigns and then turn around and reverse themselves and do just the opposite to our detriment, that's lying. And that's terrible. And we should hold them accountable. 
I believe in the, term the difficulty, limits. though, Michael. If I if if I may, to your to your analogy there, you know, the the difference is my wife lies to me, or my business partner, somebody else, like you said, once, twice, and so before it's like done. We're divorced now. That's it. We're breaking this partnership up. The problem with the politicians is is there are is half the population that is benefiting from those lies, and they're going to rush to the ballot box to vote for them again because they're benefiting. And and I'm not being partisan here, but that's the reality of it. Only half of the population, generally speaking, is upset when politicians lie because they're the ones being hurt by it. Well, you know, to a degree, you're right, Bob, and that is an issue. But I think uh, I see a little bit of an awakening happening here in this country because things are going too out of hand. And hopefully I'm right. I don't, I don't know. You know, I got to tell you this. I'm a very optimistic guy. As a matter of fact, my wife, I drive her crazy sometimes because no matter what happens, I, don't worry about it. We're going to fix it. Everything's going to be OK. And I believe that, you know, I have kind of a pessimistic view of the way this country is going. And I hope I'm wrong. Believe me, I hope I'm wrong. I hope people are starting to see something. I'm starting to see a little bit of a, a crack in their crevice there where people are really becoming aware that, hey, you know what? Things are not as good as people are telling us they are. And and, and we, we have to fix it. So um, and it's the middle class. Listen, you know, it's middle America that controls the bo- voting booths. Believe me when I tell you that they have a lot to say. And hopefully, you know, people are starting to be enlightened. And again, I don't want to make this a partisan thing. It's just whoever is in government at this point in time that's not doing their job and doing it to the detriment and doing their job to the detriment of the people. People have to become aware of it. So, uh, you, you know, again, I, I look, I, I can do a lot on this, uh, Bob. I'm very passionate about it. Uh, but I know now's not the time. Hopefully yeah. people read the book. And they'll come away with those conclusions. Well, I'm glad you said that, Michael. Um, and again, the book is Mafia Democracy, and you need to find that on Amazon. And uh, you can probably find that on your website, too, right, MichaelFranzese.com? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's on the website. It's all over social media. You'll find it. We want people to find that book and read that book. So now that, that leads me to this question. You got a massive, you got several books. You're a best-selling author. You do this uh, YouTube thing with over five million people watching you. You do it twice a month. You do, uh, uh, you, you know, you do all kinds of presentations all over you, all over the place. How do you condense all of that and your life and your transition from, you know, made mafia capio, capo to born again Christian who mentors youth and, and advises on political matters? How do you wrap that into 70 minutes on stage on june 24th well you know i've been doing this for quite some time so uh, i think i got it down pretty well and you know what it's the audience that helps it we get such a great reaction look if i would let the q a go we would be there for hours and i enjoy it and people love it they want to be uh, you know they want to interact with me you know and we have a great time look i, I tell things the way it is you know i enlighten people about that what, what that life was really all about and uh, I'll expand upon it in Cleveland, too, because I happen to know the history fairly well. Uh, my own life, you know, the history of the mafia in this country. And they hear it the way it really is. And they enjoy it. And then they get a chance to Q&A. And then we go in the back room with, you know, a lot of people buy the uh, the escalated tickets. And we, we take photos and, uh, you know, we sign books. And we just have a good time. And for me, it's very conversational. You know, people really enjoy it. I've been doing this all over the world. I had a big tour in the United Kingdom last year for two months. We had 20 dates. I'm going to Australia this year. I've been in Singapore, Malaysia, all over this country. And and I love doing it. I love being in the presence of people. I'm, I'm that kind of a guy. And and, uh, you know, I got to tell you, so many people have reached out for me uh, after I did that YouTube video in Cleveland, uh, people from restaurants in Little Italy where I am going to visit, 
Uh, other people that are in business have, uh, you know, wanted to jump on and, and help promote the event. So I've gotten such a warm reception just from the YouTube video that I did that I'm I'm excited to be there. And I've been there to Cleveland many times. I mean, I've been to Ohio, and I, I love the place. People are warm, and and I uh, can't wait to get back. Well, I want to strongly recommend when you go to Little Italy here in Cleveland, I want to strongly recommend Guarinos. It is one of the originals. It is a phenomenal place. It's my favorite place to go when I'm down there. Uh, tell the, uh, tell the uh, owner and the host there that I sent you there. Not, not that you don't need you, not that you need any uh, recommendations or references from anybody else given who, who you are, but uh, they'll take great care of you and you're going to love that. Michael, last question. Um, when I, if I'm home by myself and when the wife and kids come in and they see me in front of the TV and they'll say, what are you watching? And I'll say a movie. The first thing they say is, let me guess, a mob movie. I'm fascinated with, with mafia culture. I watch as many of the, the movies that I've seen, the Hollywood productions, as well as the documentaries, programs like yours and so forth. Why is the question, am I? And why are Americans so fascinated with, 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 with crime culture, with crime and corruption and murder and racketeering and all of the things that, you know, you talk about on a regular basis? There's an audience for you and for anything and all things mafia. Why do you think it's so glorified in this country? Well, Bob, let me correct you on that. It's not only in America. I mean, I go to Singapore. And I open it up for a Q&A and I have people asking me, you know, where is Jimmy Hoffa buried? This is worldwide. And I never realized how intriguing this life is to people outside of the life, because when you're in it, that's your life. But when I got out, I was fascinated myself all over the world. Why is that? Well, listen, uh, you know, it's because of the movies, because of, of Hollywood and because of the way people present it in the media. You know, it's it, look, I was in a market the other day. In a market, um, maybe three, four weeks ago, and on the magazine rack, there's a the front page. Is, I mean, the cover of the magazine is Al Capone, right? Mm-hmm. So I pick up the magazine at Curiosity. The entire magazine is on the life of Al Capone. Now he's dead almost eighty years. He was his K day was a hundred years ago, and they're still putting this guy in an entire magazine, and people are picking it up and watching it. I do stuff on on Capone, and you think he was he's still alive today? Wow. People are just fascinated. The media has done it. Hollywood has done it. Let's face it. You know, The Godfather, what The Godfather did for the perception of that life, no other movie before it has ever done. And uh, it's worldwide. People know about it. And uh, that's the only way I can explain it. And when I go, you know, people are ready to receive me because they're fascinated about the life. They've already given me the platform. I just got to carry it through from that point. Tickets for Michael Franzese on stage at the Lorraine Palace Theater, Saturday, June 24th. It's uh, not that far off. What, five weeks, six weeks off? Um, you want to, uh, you want to get those at LorrainePalace.com or at this phone number, 440-245-2323. Or I will give you a pair of tickets right now. I'm told I have two more pairs to give away, and I will do so to callers eight and nine this time. Eight and nine. You've got a pair of tickets to go see Michael Franzis on June 24th. Just call us right now at 216-901-0945. Michael, thank you for the incredible conversation. I enjoyed every bit of it, and I'm going to enjoy the show in, uh, in June as well. I'll see you there. Yeah, Bob, see you there. Thanks for the, uh, you know, great morning. I appreciate it, and uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, sir. God bless. That's Michael Franzese joining us. Great uh, conversation. When we come back after the top of the hour break here, um, we're going to kind of bookend the conversation about Jason Stevens and the special election in August. I did that for the entire first hour. I'm going to pick it up now 
in the last hour with Jack Windsor joining us next on AM 1420 The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward and upward we go on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour 3 is underway. It's 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. On a Wednesday, the third morning of the fifth month, year of our Lord, 2023. Congratulations to Michael Sinclair from Fairview Park. And to Dan O'Donnell from Brexville. They were callers 8 and 9, and they got their pair of tickets to see Michael Francis live on stage on uh, June 24th at the Lorraine Palace Theater. That's, like I said, very, very close to me. I'm a Lorraine Countyan, for better or worse sometimes. Uh, and uh, I will be there, and you can too if you get your tickets for that event at LorrainePalace.com. Just log on to LorrainePalace.com to purchase your tickets. I think it's a fascinating Story, like I said, of, uh, of of transformation from crime and corruption to a person of faith who is mentoring others to stay out of the gang life. Uh, great commentary from uh, Michael Francis. Now, as I said, I want to kind of bookend the program with this topic. I started the show and, in fact, spent the first hour of the broadcast talking about what our worst fears were whenever the Gang of 22 hijacked um, the supermajority from the Republican Party and gave power to the Democrats. The Gang of 22, of course, led by Speaker Jason Stevens, who stole his gavel when uh, 22 Republicans were siphoned off from the 67-member supermajority, even after they pledged to uh, vote unanimously to support whoever won their caucus last November. And that, of course, was Derek Maron. You know the story by now. Uh, They went to the Democrats, partnered with them, and gave them power instead. And now it looks like that bill has come due. For the Democrats to support Jason Stevens, they had to get something in return. And what they may be getting in return is abortion on demand all the way through all nine months of gestation. And, oh, by the way, parents can't stop their kids from transitioning if the kids really want to. That is what is on the agenda uh, in the actual certified language of the ballot initiative that's going to be on in November. How do we stop it? We stop it by having a special election to raise the threshold to amend the Ohio Constitution from 50% to 60%. So when I say that bill comes due, I mean that bill comes due now. Jason Stevens refuses to advance this to the floor for a vote. He has punted, according to the news yesterday, and said, we'll take this up again next week. He also said, it's the most important issue before the House right now. 
yet he's going to sit on it for a week, which will put us right up against the Wednesday deadline uh, to have that vote in order to get that on the ballot in August. Joining us now to talk about it is our good friend. He's back. Back after a vacation, well, I guess we can give him a little bit of a, a break here because his vacation also doubled as a honeymoon. Jack Windsor is back Can with us on the you dig it? <laughs> Jack, your editorial and journalistic prowess was missed during your absence. It is good to have you back, my friend. How are you, sir? Bob, I'm super fantastic. It's great to be back. Always an honor to be with you and the listeners. Do you have a nice, uh, nice little vacay? You know, we did. It, uh, it. We were without kids. We were on a cruise. Uh, you know, off in the water somewhere, which was great. Um, but man, I came back to a crap storm uh, <laughs> as soon as I, yeah. as soon as I hit the shore. Man, my phone. I mean, it went off literally for about two minutes straight. Text after text after text, and most of them were call me, call me, call me, uh, and. You know, it was all about exactly what you just teed up, Bob. It's all about what's going on with this 60% resolution and the August special election. So I'm going to give you one little piece of updated information that I received, um, and uh, then I want to I want you to tell us what your thoughts are on this. Um, I just got a note from um, John Stover, the president of Ohio Value Voters, who got this from a uh, state representative, the Government Oversight Committee today, later today when they meet, must pass out of that committee um, a bill, or two bills, in fact, he says, two bills, in order for that full House vote next week to meet the deadline for an August vote. So I didn't realize this when I started the show today. I just got this in the last hour while I was talking to Michael Franzese. The Government Oversight Committee must act today and pass the two bills uh, from last week, two that actually John testified on, uh, for the full House to vote next week uh, uh, to meet that deadline uh, for an August vote. Jack, what do you have? Well, that's interesting, Bob. I would love to know, did, did John Stover, uh, and you know, I've talked with John in the past, uh, he's a great source of information, did he indicate which two bills uh, would need to come out of the Government uh, Oversight Committee? I will tell you uh, by the time we're done talking. Okay, perfect, perfect. So, um, you know, I've spent uh, a lot of time on phone calls the, the past 24 hours, and I- I'm going to just start with this. The mood is panic. Um, people are stunned. They're frustrated. What needs to happen now with this new understanding is that the the house government oversight committee has to pass two or essentially get two two bills out of yeah uh, they're 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 at their sb 92 and hb 144 those are the senate and house bills the concurrent bills to uh uh to uh, to get that special election uh yep. certified yep yes so 92 would be the one that sets that august special election that makes sense and and so here's where we're at uh, Senate Bill 92 is in committee, and it is the Senate's bill, so all the House has to do is concur if if that committee has not made changes to that bill. Um, and it looks like it was actually uh, – so it would be need to be reported by the committee, and then it would have to go to a floor vote. Now, looking at the calendar, it looks like the next ske- session is scheduled for next Wednesday, which is May 10th. Which, my understanding, according uh, to election officials, that is the drop dead date. That is the date Correct. by which this would have to pass. So, 
that special election does need to come out of committee. I see that now, and it needs to be passed by the House. And this, to require a 60% vote to approve any constitutional amendment, uh, it, it is showing it has been reported by the committee. So I know they had hearings yesterday. And now Jason Stevens will have to put it before voters. Uh, one little wrinkle, I think you probably talked about this. One of the things that Jason Stevens said was, look, if, if I have 60 votes, I will do this. Well, since there are only now uh, 97 members in the House mm-hmm. instead of 99, that number now goes down to 59. If you talk to Michael Gonadakis of Ohio Right for Life, he says that, hey, we have the 60 votes, we have 60 signatures, let's do this. So right now, Bob, all eyes are on Jason Stevens. He's not well, returned Cle- Cle- my just, calls. Just to throw this out there, Jack, uh, yep. to, for specifics, Cleveland.com yesterday reported that they claim, Gonadakis and, uh, and Rob Sexton from Buckeye Firearms, uh, claim to have 59, but they only have provided 51 signatures or letters from 51 of those 59. The other five... Uh, or excuse me, the, the others who have not uh, uh, given a, a official signed or or letterheaded confirmation of their intent include Cindy Abrams, Haraz Ganbari, Don Jones, Jeff Loray, Jamie Callender, Sharon Ray, Gail Pavliga, and Andrea White. Then, and the, now, now if they all will actually put their names on a, on a piece of paper saying this, they'll have the 59, which should be out of the 97 that we have right now, 60%. It's three-fifths. Um, but we could also put that to bed by getting one of the others to do this. And the holdouts who will not support this are Jay Edwards, Brett Hillier, Gail Manning, Scott Oslager, and, yes, uh, good old Tom Patton. So they are the five yep. that have not pledged their support of any kind, either yep. verbal or written thus far. Pick it up from there. Yeah, so, I, I mean, all eyes are on Jason Stevens. I sent him a message yesterday, and I said, hey, I have a deadline. I'm... I'm Bob, I'm, I'm working on we, – we broke that original story. We talked ad nauseum about it, bipartisanship or betrayal. If you go to the OhioPressNetwork.com, look that story up. Read it because it gives you a foundation to where we are today. And so I asked Jason Stevens, Speaker Stevens, where are you with this? Is this going to go to a vote? If so, why? If not, why not? He won't answer the question. And so um, you know, I did a – he, he's a coward. Well, he wouldn't even answer. He wouldn't. And again, quoting Cleveland.com again, when they asked him, uh, uh, he told reporters yesterday that any resolution would have to wait a week. And then he stopped taking questions after 90 seconds, after 90 yes, seconds. And the only thing even remotely related to this, he said, was, we know this is a very important issue. This is dealing with our Constitution. So it's the most important issue before the House right now. Jack, it's the most important issue before the House right now. And he wants to not do anything with this most important issue until right up against the deadline next week. That clearly lets you know what his intent is. He's going to let this deadline slide by and say, sorry, we couldn't come to an agreement by then. Yeah, you know, words and actions are a barometer, and the time for talking is over. The time for acting is now. And his inaction, I would say, editorially, my opinion is, it speaks to a deal between Jason Stevens and Allison Russo and the Democrats. What's unfathomable, Bob, the, the refrain that I've gotten back time and time again, and I've talked to probably 30 people in the last 24 hours, um, both sides of the aisle, by the way, the Republicans are just incensed because in their minds, the Republican supermajority will be responsible for the greatest moral collapse in Ohio history. I want you to think about that. We, we kill two, 20 to 30,000 kids a year now. What happens when this, and, and by the way, they're going to argue, well, you know, the amendment doesn't say that. The amendment talks about health and life, and health is a very broad and ambiguous term. 
So it certainly opens up the door because of ambiguity to uh, abortion up to birth. So on demand. So that number is going to go up astronomically, right? And there is language in there that talks about not being able to bar somebody's decisions with respect to reproductive health. Well, then how does that play into transgender activism, Mm -hmm. which is alive and well in the state of Ohio right now? So certainly it gives uh, a door open, an open door to people who want to allow kids to, even without parental consent, start this process uh, as minors. So this is a this is a radical, radical thing that's going on. And you have a Republican supermajority and nothing is being done. The Senate's done their job. They've put both bills into the House. Yep. The committees have essentially done their job. And now all eyes are on Jason Stevens. That's where this is, Bob. Uh, so you have until May 10th. And um, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than that. And all he, all he needs to do, all he needs to do too, is just sign it himself. He's a representative. I was talking to John about this earlier. Mm-hmm. All he, Jason, can be the 60th vote. You know, we got 59, which and again, 51 in writing, 50, 59 committed verbally. But all they've got to do is, is, is he's got to add his name to that. Now we got, now we got 60, and we can go ahead and go forward and have this as, as long yep. as, as we pointed out. The Government Oversight Committee passes this thing out of committee today, these two bills that we talked about. And I asked John Stover, um, it, you know, what time this was going to happen, this committee hearing. And he, yep. because I wanted to know if, if there's still time to reach out to these representatives on this uh, committee and, uh, and, and urge them to get this thing done. And I've got bad news. Some of them are indeed the worst offenders in this in this arena, including John Craw. I'm looking at them right now. The Government Oversight Committee includes Democrats. Uh, Elliot Foy, it doesn't matter who the Democrats are. You know what they're going to do. The Republicans are Bob Peterson, Jim Thomas, John Cross, Bill Seitz, uh, Scott Oslager, and D.J. Swearingen, along with Sharon Ray and James Hoops. Dead, so, dead on arrival. Exactly. Dead on arrival. They're not, so it's not coming out of there today. Um, Jason Stevens, by the way, you know, you said it's all in Jason Stevens' court, or, you know, it's up to him right now. Well, you know, in the same article that I was quoting from, John Cross said, you know what, let's do it while people are paying attention. He said March 24th would be a better time to have this, uh, right. this, have this vote, uh, because it's such a small turnout would be expected in August. So if that's John Cross's position, then that's Jason Stevens' position, and that's why he's well, going to let John- this thing. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was going to say it is John Cross's position. John Cross, if you look at his Facebook page, um, you know, was posting about um, his interview with Spectrum News and talking about uh, keeping Ohio's waterways healthy. And, and I, I want to go, are you tone deaf? I mean, there's one issue, or actually two issues right now. There's the 60 percent issue and there's the August special election. And, there, you know, it's hand in glove. It's it's. Um, it, it, it is the number one issue. And so, you know, John Cross has, has kind of moved on. And I think that that's what you're going to hear is you're going to hear radio silence from Cross, from uh, Jason Stevens, and yeah. this thing's not going to, it's not going to happen. And so what you're going to, and, and by the way, Bob, this isn't just an abortion issue. This has to do with um, redistricting. This has to do with minimum wage. This has to do with marijuana legalization. So, what this does is it gives uh, the progressive apparatus, the progressive people and apparatus to um, essentially forego the General Assembly and elected officials and dump a bunch of money in Ohio and put things into the Constitution that, frankly, I don't think voters uh, would approve. Uh, I don't think that a 60 percent majority of voters would approve uh, changes that are probably coming down the pike. Um. 
you're right, and I'm so glad. John, Lisa Sticken actually brought that up, too. She called me earlier when we were talking about this in the first hour. <clears throat> and um, she, of course, is the chair of the Republican Party of Calgary County. And she brought up the fact that it's not just about abortion. This is going to impact everything that they try to do, and that's why it should be uh, in place. You know, the 60% threshold for crying out loud to amend the United States Constitution. It takes three-quarters for crying out loud. We're just talking about 60% rather than a simple majority, 50% plus one. So it's going to impact not just this abortion situation in November, but it's going to impact uh, all of those other things going forward. But, but. The abortion issue is the main issue. It's the primary issue sure. here for for the constituents, Jack, who gave all of these Republicans their power, um, gave them a supermajority to enact their will, and we are a pro-life, conservative majority state. And for yep. them to not do what needs to be done to protect life, and again, knowing full well what you said is being true, that there are many other issues this will affect going forward, but we do know that the direct threat to embedding abortion into the Constitution of the state of Ohio is coming in November, um, we can focus on that particular one thing right now. And all of these trans-Democrats, as I've been calling them from the beginning, because they are just slowly making their transition into Dems, um, including every one of the members that I just that I just read to you, uh, you know, they, they are willing to sell out the conservatives. It's like a bait-and-switch. Sell out the conservatives who thought they were voting for pro-lifers and thought they were voting for pro-conservatives. Yeah, well said. And just two other minor points. Uh, I did talk with a State House Insider yesterday, and uh, we were talking about the committee hearing involving the 60% uh, threshold uh, resolution. And the comment was, well, the Democrats aren't really uh, aggressive. <laughs> they don't seem agitated. And uh, my guess is, this person said, is that because they know there's a deal, this thing's not going to see the light of day. So, um, you know, that was one of the, the bits of information that I got yesterday. And then I think the question becomes then, right, um, who's, who's buttering Jason Stevens' bread? Who, who's doing this? Who's behind this? That was the question uh, that I – and by the way – Here's the other part. I, I did talk to uh, Ohio Republican Party Chairman Alex Triantafilu yesterday. Mm-hmm. We went back and forth. He provided a statement. And, and my question to him was, how do you rally your base? How do you fundraise when issues of uh, transgender activism, uh, when issues of abortion are permitted in the Constitution, when the Republicans have a supermajority? How do you how do you come back from that? And his comment was, this is radical and we're going to do everything that we can to fight this up until, you know, the 10th. So we'll see. I, I think they meet this Friday, the 5th. Um, what would be interesting is if they said, look, uh, if you don't get this thing across the finish line, we're not going to endorse. We're going to withhold funding. So they may have a few tools in their belt, but I don't know if they have an appetite to get it done. Well, well I've already reached out to some uh, very, very strong uh, financial supporters of a lot of these individuals, uh, including Jason Stevens, and they appear to be committed to uh, ending his career. Uh, they will not allow him to go forward with any of their money anyway going forward to run for re-election. Uh, and any of the others that are a part of that 22, including somebody like Tom Patton, who's term limited but has eyes on then going to the Senate so he can continue uh, to be in the General Assembly, uh, same story. They're not going to get a nickel from some of these big donors. Uh, Jack, i got news here, but I've got a couple more quick questions. You want to hang? Sure. I can do that. Good. Uh, uh, Jack's uh, uh, cheering gallery. you happy? He's going to stick around. You good? <laughs> Your friends all like it. We'll continue after this on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. All right, uh, 1137, we continue with Jack Windsor now. Jack, I don't want to end it so abruptly there. So your words were then this is DOA, having the August election is DOA, Mm -hmm. if it is a fact that the Government Oversight Committee must pass those two bills out of their committee today, literally by the end of the day today, to even have a chance at having a vote next week, a floor vote to get the August election. And given the names that we... uh, we we covered who are on that committee among the republicans are at least uh at least four um are part of the gang of 22 then there's no way this is come out yep. coming out of committee so we the the fight is over for the august election am i hearing you right it seems to be over for the august election now um so there are a couple of things to, to talk about there number one if it's over for the august election i think it's over because i, I do believe that this abortion amendment will pass. So the idea is, well, why don't we do this 60% when we have more voters at the polls? Okay, but then you make it nearly impossible to undo what's done with this radical amendment. So that's one issue. Um, The second issue is that, can they still do a discharge petition? How many? I mean, if they, if if Michael Kanadaka, I was told that was dead. I was told that was dead when, uh, when they passed this out of the committee last week. Um, I can't remember which committee it was, but I was told that 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 completely eliminates the discharge petition now. That once it came out of committee, it can be brought to a floor vote, and uh, it does. And uh, and it's up to Jason Stevenson. The discharge committee is dead, or excuse me, petition well, is dead. Discharge petition is dead. So once it's out of committee, then it goes into rules and reference. So I don't know. In terms of, and keep in mind, Jason Jason Stevens changed some of the House rules at the beginning of this 135th General Assembly. So I'd have to bone up a little bit on: Are there any levers that lawmakers can pull to get this out of rules and reference? I sincerely and doubt it because what he the changes he made. You're right; he did change up some of the rules. He offered uh, allowed no amendments whatsoever to even be heard and discussed and voted upon. He just killed them all, and he did so to strengthen the power of the speaker, not to weaken it and give members, uh, you know, will work around on a decision that he makes. Yeah. So that being said, um, it, it appears that uh, the, the hope and the prayer, if you are a conservative voter, <clears throat> is that uh, this this <laughs> amendment, this proposed amendment doesn't get the support, whether it's the signatures or the support at the ballot box that it would need. But it, it appears that uh, there's going to be a ton of money poured into the state of Ohio. Oh, but goodness. Yeah. And they're lying as they collect directions. signatures. Yeah, sure. they're lying as they collect signatures. They're getting people to sign by saying, do you support women's health care? Well, here, sign this right. petition to to, to uh, embed women's health care into the Ohio Constitution. So, you know, they're, because in their mind, this is their argument, of course, it's how they sleep at night, uh, knowing that they murder babies uh, for a living or in support of murdering babies for a living. They they say, no, it's providing women's health care. This is a woman's issue. So, so they're phrasing it that way. They're getting everybody to sign and it's a and it's embarrassing the only thing on a wing and a prayer i think we can do is is just overwhelm their phone lines literally right now and up until they go to this meeting and i'm talking about calling bob peterson jim thomas john cross james hoop scott olslager sharon ray bill sites and dj swearingen all of whose office numbers are listed on the uh, ohio house website at ohiohouse.gov i just just overwhelm them and say you're done you're done. We will yeah. never support you. You will get no more votes. You will get no more money and so forth. They probably already have heard those threats, but it's, I guess it's a last-ditch effort, Jack, that I can think of. 
Yeah, it, I mean, you got to light them up. You absolutely have to light them up. And um, look, Bob, I, I, this this one's hard for me. I mean, I obviously wear my emotions on my sleeve a lot. Uh, in, in our reporting, however, we, we certainly make sure that we cover what we need to cover. Um, but look, if you don't value life, I said this yesterday, if you don't value life, its creator and its origin, then you're living in a time that's akin to arranging deck furniture on the Titanic. We're sunk. Right. If you're letting the government pick and choose uh, away from God's word what life is and why it's valuable, you're done. Jack, I want to share a quick uh, audio clip with you. This was from an interview on January 4th, the day after the steal of 23, the Speaker's steal of 23. I spoke with Representative Al Catrona, and I told him how I felt about what they had just done. And this is what he said. Uh, Okay, hold on a second there. Apologies. Let's get this potted up properly. Okay, here's what he told me on January 4th. At the end of the day, I believe we're going to have a conservative agenda. And I think you're going to ask me back onto your show three months from now, two months from now, six months from now, and you're going to say, Katrona, I'm surprised. I, 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 you know, I was concerned at first uh, that there was not going to be this conservative agenda. And, but you're going, to, you're going to ask me back on here, and you're going to say, you're right. You guys have moved this bill, you moved that bill. I believe that, you know, and I can't speak uh, – for the, for the speaker, and I think that, frankly, it's the will of the caucus, and then, you know, a lot of people need to recognize um, that's a big part of it, but I think that once we sit down and we go over our priorities, I think you're going to see a lot of things like save women's sports. I think you're going to see a lot of things that deal with, you know, those conservative values that both you and I have, and so, you know, at the end of the day, there was no deal that was cut. It comes down to the fact that, you know, do you want a functional house or not? Tomorrow makes four months since he made that statement. He will not return or mm-hmm. answer our calls. I of want to invite him back on. I want to invite him back on and put him, you know, let's, 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 let's put him to the test. He said, you'll have me back on in three months and tell me how wrong you were and how right I was about how uh, conservative and wonderful this speaker is in this, uh, uh, in this house is. Uh, Jack, it's four months after that, uh, after that day, and he won't come back on. Are you surprised by that? No, I'm not. I think we talked about that on a podcast shortly after he made that statement. And my comment was this. Well, they're going to do a victory lap. They'll put some pieces of legislation out there, maybe the State Women's Sports Act. I thought they might make the SAFE Act a priority. That hasn't happened. Um, but, look, I'm getting calls from uh, committee chairmen and chairwomen around the state of Ohio. Um, there's, there's not a feeling that Jason Stevens is a conservative. There's this feeling that Jason Stevens is a traitor and that he's betrayed the Republican Party. And his supporters will uh, will go down in history with the same with the same uh, wearing the same badge. I think they will all go down as traitors. They betrayed the Republican Party. Moreover, they betrayed their constituents. They pulled a bait and switch. They told the people during the elections, uh, you know, during their elections, that they were going to be conservative, fight for the values that we all hold dear, including life and especially life. And now they went out there and gave power to the death cult that is the Democrat Party, uh, all for their own personal glorification and their own personal gain. Jack Windsor, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you for coming on. I will encourage people to go to and subscribe to the Ohio Press Network. Read Jack and his team's great coverage of this. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some editorials there as well. And Jack Windsor, thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bob. Thanks to uh, Jack Windsor. Thanks to Michael Francis. Thanks to my team, Johnny and uh, Marianne and Marcy. And thanks to you for listening. Everyone be well, be safe. We'll be back tomorrow, and uh, we'll pick up the pieces then. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.